Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house that's right we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. now does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're in sight clear left turkey national ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta Last time Amy was here, as a matter of fact. So, oh, you know, no. so yeah. not a good sign. Not a good sign. <laughs> she knows how well that worked out. <laughs> so, so let me see if I've got this straight. All right, we've got we've got a, an, a, an aircraft. I believe it was a 150 Cessna 152 from a Canadian flight school. Up That's how you know they're really bad. Just so you know. Is that really okay? Well, well, apparently okay. Because <laughs> the definition of a bad is a Canadian flight school. Apparently, well. huh? All right, I'm reading this story. This is from, what is this from? This is from WCAX.com, uh, uh, Vermont's trusted news source for 55 years, so it must be right. Uh, Sounds like it, it almost makes the sound of a cat honking up a hairball. Uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, officials say two students from a Canadian flight school landed their small plane at Rochester's airport without notifying air traffic controllers because they were running low on fuel. All right. Uh, Sheriff spokesperson says two men were questioned by U.S. Customs and Border Patrol officers after the Cessna 172 landed safely on one of the airport's smaller runways around 9.30 p.m. on Tuesday. Uh, He says they were allowed to travel home to Toronto on Wednesday and the plane was retrieved by its owner. He said the men aren't facing facing any state or federal charges. I don't understand this. Okay. <laughs> okay Which it part reminds is it, it reminds me of that seventies show when they were trying to bring the the beer back over the border yeah. and the Mounties stopped them. Oh oh sure. Uh Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> yes. So even though I don't know what's about this this has got to be a case of mainstream media not getting the story right, all right? Because well, you know, I guess and this part of it they must have got right because it's just pretty straightforward, and that is that these guys wandered across the border in this day and age of TSA and Homeland Security. They just wandered across the border in a small airplane, landed without telling anybody, and and then they got like you know got a little talking to, and then were sent home. I I don't understand how that would happen in this day and age. Um, now, this isn't uh, this isn't an accusation or or anything like that, but it 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 kind of feels to me like if this had been a different border and the same thing had happened. Uh, we'd be lucky to know that these guys even existed at all. They'd oh, be a black hole in, the, in well, the statisticals. A more southern thank, border is what you're getting at? The, well, yeah. thank God it wasn't a stolen Cessna. Yeah, well, there That's you right. go. We're, with two flight with two uh, uh, flight flight school owners right. in it. Yeah. Or yeah. even a Cessna with an N number of a stolen uh-huh. Cessna. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah no, this I, one didn't even have an N number. It had a C number. Now, another part of the story that boggles my mind is that um, the story claims that it's two students from a flight school. Which well, also makes different no degrees sense. of students. Well, they, they, they could be instrument students. They I could suppose. be commercial yeah. students. They could be ATP students. They don't have to be primary students. But that is true. Thank you, Jeb. One would think that if at least one of them was a little bit more advanced pilot, he wouldn't have been foolish. And would, he would have realized that it's no big deal. Just call a tower and say we need to land. There is that, that would be assuming that you knew what airport was under you, hon. And uh-huh. my guess is oh. they did. 
Okay. Yeah. Ooh, there's an airport. We really uh-huh. need to land. We let's, need gas. Yeah, we are we are lost. We are disoriented. We need gas. There's an airport. I'm using it. See, I'm sorry. And, I never even thought of that. You're absolutely right. That must be what happened. And it's and, dark. And, you know, with the, the practical way, test standards being what they are. Uh, you know, there's technology that we all get to use and some, you know, some of it in ways that enhance our experience and our capabilities, but we couldn't legally do if we said we were. Uh, but you, you don't get to use all that stuff necessarily when you're a student either. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, depending on the age of the airplane and the intelligence of the user. Right. Yeah. I'll just leave it at that. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm I, I'm not. I'm happy. I mean, it's it's proper that they just got questioned and sent home, you know, because no harm, no foul. I just oh, I know agreed. what I, I know what you mean, man. I think that they're lucky to be. I just think that in this day and age, I'm amazed that they got away with it, got off this easy, you know. Uh, but oh no, 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 no! Look, they let my sister-in-law go back to California after they pulled her out of line in Newark, coming back into the country, and questioned her, sixty-eight-year-old white-haired lady for 25 minutes about where she'd been and what she did in the back room. I'm awful sorry to hear this, but I'm not sure I want to hear it. <laughs> I mean, they do actually see reason when they realize they've got the wrong person despite what their, you know, profiling says. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, generally okay. speaking, these are nice people just trying to do their job at Department of Homeland Security. So, ma'am, are you familiar with a six foot seven? 315-pound Mediterranean complexion guy with your same name? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I never knew what happened to the poor lady. I thought she, like, blew us off and (laughs) disappeared. Very strange stuff. Anyhow, I'm sorry that that brought that whole memory back up to light, the whole DHS um, thing. But I have a great DHS story. It's just that it's all the way down at the end of the list, so I'm not allowed to talk about it now. Well, no. (laughs) That would be the Denver International Airport uh, shooting range. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's come back to that one. Let's we'll back come to back one. to it. <laughs> hey, welcome, folks, to uh, episode 208 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Wednesday, September 29th, 2010. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar uh, after after a, a really interesting little break. I, You know, it's funny. Part of me was looking forward to having having a few weeks off where we didn't do the podcast. But I have to, I have to confess that even the very first week off, I started to think, you know, I started to go into withdrawal. It's like, you know, well, wait a minute. I'm not talking to Jeb and Dave this week. What am I going to do? You know, so uh, so I'm really happy to be back, and uh, it's it's going to be a fun, yeah. fun. Let me say that's, hi to my friends here in the hangar. So yeah, that voice there is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm better now that we're back together. Yeah, I know. It's like uh, yeah. you know. together again. That's right. Uh, Birds of a feather in all kinds of weather. So, so let's see. Now, this is. I'm going to ask everybody. This is Jeb. What did you do on your summer vacation? I moved. <laughs> you moved. Oh, I moved. Okay. I moved my residence. Tell us about that. Now you know. Okay. See, yeah, a lot of people are immediately going to go. Oh no, he doesn't live on the airport anymore. That sucks. Tell us what happened. Yeah, it, it would. Except that I bought a house. Uh, I'd been renting um, uh, the house I was in. Uh, bought a house literally around the corner down the street. Um. Much better house, much nicer house, um, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I'm still in the throes of remodeling it, still in the throes of moving into it. 
but I'm in it. And I speak to you now from that location. Oh, very cool. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. So I know I know the hangar was one of the slower going uh, projects. Yeah. Have you moved yeah. the plane yet? Or? No, the airplane's still in the other hangar. Um, no one's telling me to get it out of there. And until they do, uh, it's going to stay right where it is until uh, the other hangar's ready. Um, I think we discussed during uh, the Oshkosh uh, uh, episodes um, my buying a hangar door. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and some listeners might have been, why does he need a hangar door? A, he's <laughs> yeah. already in a hangar. B, um, you know. So that kind of answers, that closes that loop, if you will. The, the, the house I bought um, was missing a few things, uh, one of those things <laughs> being a hangar door. Uh, that's why I got it for such a great price. But uh, uh, the hangar's not quite ready for it to store an airplane yet, much less much, uh, much else. But... Uh, uh, we're all get, we're getting there. Uh, it's a long process. Uh, it's all going to be worth it. Yeah, I'm and I'm interested to watch to see what's more interesting. It's che- your house's checkered past or its checkered future. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, we have to start another podcast to discuss some of that. I understand. Yeah. So, anyways, congratulations. Thank you. I, uh, Thank you. I know it's been a, it's been something you've been trying to do for a while now, and uh, and uh, personally, I'm thrilled that you're still there, that you're able to stay on the airport there yeah. because that's yeah, a this, really cool. This place is to just live. a much nicer, uh, much nicer piece of property. Um, you know, a lot more uh, uh, accoutrements, uh, amenities, etc. And uh, once it's all glue back to your magnificent yeah so yeah also here in the virtual hangar is dave higdon who's uh, talking to us from wichita kansas hey david how are you doing tonight just lovely it's so glad to be back in the uh back in the uh cockpit with the gang here yeah. so. so did you do anything fun during your uh, summer vacation here well sort of yeah kind of not really uh <laughs> okay what does that mean did, did a lot of did a lot of need to do before winter chores around the house. Uh, have spent a lot of time in the office working on a number of projects, uh, uh, commissioned and government work, uh, and, and trying to get about six weeks ahead right now because there are a couple of gigs coming along in October and November that are going to take uh, some time out of the office. And some of my clients are going to be out of their offices for those, too. So they've asked that a bunch of stuff get done early, like mm-hmm. two to three weeks early. Mm-hmm. So it's been, you know, it, it, it's been a little busier than usual. And then some new stuff fell across the transom and some other new stuff dropped in. And it's like, wow, this is just going to run right up until I walk out the door for NBAA. Yeah, it's good to be busy. I love yeah. when that happens. Yeah. Oh, and going yeah. to the airport this weekend. So Very cool. Very cool. Also here in the virtual hangar this week is Amy Laboda. Who uh, now, Amy? I'm not clear on where you're sitting tonight. Are you in Fort Myers or where? Are you? I am still in Fort Myers because the weather, which decided to get cruddy here yesterday, but actually ended up all on the east coast. I'm sure it's gorgeous where you are, Jeb. Um, the dry air. We're literally. I'm sitting. I swear. I swear. Like my street is the dry line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but. But that, Don't you love that, it when dry line is so ironic? 
<laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And and that weather is tracking straight north on the path that I was going to take. So I don't get to come to your neck of the woods, That's Jack. That's right. You were coming up to my part of the globe. I here. was. I was. Oh. But it's just not worth it this weekend. I'll have to do it a different weekend. And my daughter tells me I'm not allowed to head in that direction um, next weekend because her boyfriend's coming. And God forbid her parents and her boyfriend should be in town at the same time. Oh, that's right. You're going to visit one of the kids at school or something like that. Yes, right? in Montreal, actually. Very nice. So yeah. we were we had a bead on either Plattsburgh or Burlington, but uh, not to be because uh, it's it's not the time of year to fly in a cloud. You know, it's starting to get too cold in those clouds for Florida airplanes without any kind of uh, anti-ice or de-icing equipment. Oh, it just just spices up the flight. You, you drive, you're drilling along for hours and hours at a time, and you you need something to get your adrenaline up. For. I why paid not, why not a little ice? The paint. I paid too much for the paint. <laughs> I'm telling you, no heavy rain, no ice. A couple of that cans paint's of paint last. <laughs> Crylon will come. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. I'll let I'll let the old man know you said so. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring the blue tape. <laughs> but I have every intention of actually going out and shooting some approaches this weekend. I did that about a week ago, and it felt pretty good from a God. I need to do this more often. Uh, point of view. Um, I felt squarely about six miles behind the airplane, which is not uncommon. If you get out of practice. Yeah. And uh, the answer was I was safe and I would have gotten to the runway every time. Uh, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> Did you do it? On, were, you, were you on your own or with a safety pilot or with an instructor? No, 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 no. I go with my instructor, my mechanic, my, uh, you course. know who I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 My you're, biggest you're critic, by the way, of my flying technique. That must be brutal, I'll tell you, because. Uh, oh. Once upon a time, I tried to teach a, a a girlfriend how to drive a car, and it very nearly broke us up on one Saturday afternoon. That, I have a special disposition that allows me to do this kind of masochistic stuff. Yeah, okay. I'm impressed. Okay. Uh, That's all I have to say on the subject. Soulmates, true love. You know. Well, I don't know about true love because I don't love much about either. Okay, moving on. Moving um, right along. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from uh, UCAP Summer Headquarters, High Atop Lookout Point. In uh, yeah, how much longer will High Point, High High Atop Lookout Point, continue to be the summer headquarters? Uh, and how much longer will summer continue to be this dominant season? Well, yeah, I need to know all these things. That's true. It's not summer any longer, but uh, I should say UCAP Fall Autumn Headquarters. How's that? Uh, high Do you have up color up there? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Starting to show color. It's, not, it's certainly nowhere near peak yet, but uh, we're definitely seeing uh, color and, and leaves falling already. And so uh, we're, we're kind of behind that curve here yeah. for this time of year. Yeah, we are too. It, it, it definitely started late up here, but uh, it's starting to turn now, and uh, it's starting to look pretty. And uh, I, I love this time of year. This is uh, m- probably my favorite time of year. This is the London. time of year when all the weather consulting outfits are rolling out their uh, uh, November, December, January forecasts. How much wetter or colder than normal it's going to be, where and when in yeah. part of the country and all that. It's, it's kind of fun. If you collect a set, it's interesting to go back and look at what they did a year later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because some of them actually are pretty good. You know, I mean, they're upwards of 70%, right, 80% of the time. 
And what I did on my summer vacation uh, is, uh, well, one of the things I did on my summer vacation that was a lot of fun is I got together last Saturday with uh, a handful of UCAP listeners uh, for uh, for brunch, breakfast uh, at uh, at uh, Nashua's uh, Boire. I, you know, I should learn how they really pronounce that. It's spelled B-O-I-R-E. Boire, Boire Field or something like that, but uh, Nashua Airport uh, in Nashua, New Hampshire. And uh, man, it was a happening day at the airport. That's a really cool uh, GA airport anyways. And there was all kinds of things going on there. They, the uh, the Collings Foundation folks were there um, with their, their tour of uh, Warbirds. They had a, a B-17 and a B-24 and a P-51 and a fourth warbird that I didn't it was off in the distance I want to say it was like a Texan but uh, um, it, it, this, was this was at Nashua Airport on Saturday oh, okay and uh, so they were there on display so we had a chance to check those out and then down the field ways uh, the uh, local um, IAC chapter the EAA aerobatics chapter was <laughs> holding a uh, young Eagles rally which Never really occurred to me until just this minute. That's really an exciting way to do young eagle rides. I would imagine they stay, you know, straight and level. And that's um, a combination. I, never I know, yeah. I know. No, no, I'm of. sure they do just regular, regular old flights. Oh yeah, but, I'm sure. Uh, but I'm just thinking how much fun it would be. To- but a lot of them got to go flying in non-standard airplanes. Like there were two or three pits there that were giving kids rides, and uh, um, it was I was going to say a whole lot of the kids got to be on a ride all by themselves. Yeah. Um, so that was go that was going on, uh, and then there was just a lot of Saturday activity to begin with. Um, there were a couple of banner tow airplanes doing things, and that's always fun to watch. Um, watching them snag those banners, uh, that was cool. Another thing that was particularly cool is that uh, one of the listeners um, who goes by the name of Laminar on the uh, in the forums. Uh, he's the one who, uh, a, a couple of brunches ago, he flew his cub down from uh, Vermont, where he lives, and uh, and we had a chance to see his uh, see him and his cub, and that was cool. This time, he trailered down uh, his uh, sailplane. He's got what's called a Silent Two sailplane, hmm. which is a, a, a very sleek composite uh, uh, sailplane um, that has a has one of these retractable uh, engines uh, in the in the fuselage behind the cockpit. One and it's just one seat, one place. Um, and uh, you know, in flight, you can deploy this engine and start it up, and you know, gain back altitude or do whatever it needs to do. Uh, and uh, it was very cool to, to. He actually got it brought to the airport. He was going to try and go flying, but the winds weren't going to let him do that. But he uh, he that, took it out. That is a slick looking machine. Yeah, he, he took it out and, and put it all put it all together. And uh, and I actually not only did it let me climb into it, all right, but while I was in it, he instructed me on how to actually start up the engine, and I taxied it like ten feet. On on the ramp there, so so I, I I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to put this in my logbook or not. Did but, you turn uh, toward the low <laughs> wing? Yeah, no, no, I went straight ahead. That's pretty much all I was going to do. But uh, but I taxied the sail the sailplane, which is kind of cool on a number of different levels. If you stop and think about it for a second, how often do you taxi a sailplane? Almost never, and you know that's going to be a curious logbook entry. Yeah, I know. It won't count towards anything except bragging rights, um, but that's okay. Oh, that's a 12-meter bird, too. Yeah, and uh, you know what's cool about this engine? I mean, there were many things cool about this airplane. The engine on this airplane is one of these legendary one-bladed props, all right? This was Mm -hmm. actually interesting to see this in person, all right? And it just looks just like the picture that we talked about this on the podcast about, I don't know, three, four months ago or so, the concept of a single-bladed prop. And it turns out, we were I was joking when I first mentioned such a thing. turns out they exist, and... 
someone sent us pictures of one on a test stand, and now I've seen one actually installed on an airplane. And there it is. It's just a, you know, it's a very, very small little engine that, uh, that you know, levers up out of the fuselage. And it's got one blade that looks just like your basic, you know, sport-type aircraft propeller blade. And then where the other blade would be is this metal counterweight that balances the whole thing out. And uh, he was showing us about how, how the, the engineering is quite elegant, apparently. Um, the blade... Uh, um, Flops, you know, you know how um, um, what's the there's a right word for it on on a helicopter blades flop up and down and it helps them stay stable and takes out vibrations okay. or something like that. What's that? No, it's called flopping. Flopping, yeah. Well, this one yeah. does too. Um, it, it actually pivots, uh, you know, sort of across, uh, you know, uh, the the disc pivots, you know, towards and away from the hub. And so that's kind of interesting. Um, it was just a really interesting thing. Um, so I sat in this thing, and we started it up, and uh, I taxied my 10 feet, and uh, it was very cool. I appreciate uh, uh, Laminar, um, Rick S., for uh, bringing that down and, and showing it off to us. It was pretty cool. It was a nice Now, day. it wasn't electric, was it, the engine? No, no. It was a gasoline. Uh, I assume it was gasoline. It was certainly liquid fuel. I, I guess it was gasoline. It must have been gasoline because um, he pointed the, gas, the fuel tank to me. And uh, What kind of engine was it, do you know? I don't remember the exact name. It, apparently, it's some sort of special design that was, you know, purpose-built for that that application or for similar kinds of applications. Um, very, very small, apparently, just barely enough power to let it climb. I mean, it just doesn't. It's just barely enough to do what it needs to do. And uh, well, the, yeah. the, only, the only all it has to match to be practical is what a tow would give you on a on yeah. an average day. Although it sounds like it doesn't even do that. He was talking about how it just barely climbs and when you're climbing you're just barely it's you know in near stall and um it's it's you know just barely I guess is the term that you apply in all these different about all these different attributes. So. Yeah, they don't give a climb rate on it. Uh achievement at Christmas it's 13 meter 13 meter. It it ought to climb well on, you know, very little horsepower with that much wing. Yeah, looks like a pretty cool airplane. Um, apparently, it's a somewhat new design or, or different design or new to the U.S. or something like that because uh, he's part of a group around the country that's trying to uh, popularize it and trying to get people to uh, buy enough of them so that they can start doing uh, class competitions um, using this particular hmm. aircraft. Yeah, according to the website <clears throat> where I found some information, there's only about 80 of them flying around the world. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're pretty much home-built from the look of it. Uh, hmm. And the first one flew in '94. Hmm. I wasn't aware of the home built part. I, I it didn't strike. Well, you never know. It, it was labeled experimental, that's for sure. Um, but uh, uh, interesting airplane, very interesting airplane. And uh, anyways, that was one of the things I did during my summer vacation. That was uh, a lot of fun that day over at. National. I wonder what taking photographs with a single blade prop and working to get the prop blur. That would be interesting. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, the problem we had is we shot a little bit of video and we were shooting with these digital cameras and these cheap digital cameras have it's really hard to do that to to, to address that whole prop blur yeah. thing because the shutters are not like traditional camera no, shutters. Well, and, and and for motion it really comes to the 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 motion comes into play. How many frames per second you got to have to 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 get live motion. Most most motion pictures 24 so if you want slow-mo, you shoot at 36 and play it at 24, and it looks really slow. <laughs> All right. 
Moving on. Let's see here. Um, so I, I, I believe we talked about this way back in the old days when we used to do this podcast weekly. Um, we uh, we talked about the fact that uh, the uh, military, some branch of the military, Air Force perhaps, um, Marines, I forget, whoever it was, lost uh, control of one of their drones Navy. down near D.C. Navy. Was it Navy? Navy. Yeah. Yeah, I was out of fact. And uh, it it wandered towards D.C., and they finally got control of it. Well, after we talked about it on the podcast, the story, we learned a little bit more about this story. And it turned, and we were wondering what the reaction was going on behind the scenes. Well, it turns out that other elements of the, uh, of the federal government took this very seriously and came within minutes, apparently, of launching fighter jets to go up and, and you know, deal with this mess. And uh, it's just a... a it, <laughs> When, when you launch when you launch fighter jets to go deal with a mess, your options are fairly restricted. Yeah, well, um, yeah. So uh, I don't know. I haven't looked at the story in a couple of weeks, but uh, it's it was it, you know pretty serious thing. I, I you know well I think, it's it, you know the uh, one of the military officers involved in this you know even uh, even kind of admitted that. Uh, maybe we've got a little more work to do because they've been really pressuring the FAA for the latitude to turn these loose in the national airspace system with the rest of us, uh, with, with a whole lot of open questions. I mean, seeing it's a, a void bad is a idea. Seeing a void is, is, is an interesting thing. It doesn't work all that well with humans. But it works better than uh, uh, not being able to see or, or avoid. <laughs> and the sensors that they've got to keep track of other things, well, that's all well and good. Uh, you know, this machine had its own dedicated digital secure communications link with whoever was supposed to be flying the bloody thing. So, yeah, they're going to launch because they don't know if it just had a temporary core meltdown or whether somebody actually took over control of it from them that's what i was saying how did how yeah. did everybody yeah. know that it was that it did in fact just wander off i mean yeah i mean it could have been hacked it could have exactly. been hacked i saw right. it on la you know csi it wasn't hacked <laughs> it was it had a, it, it was doing what it's been told to do that's right skynet it, it, it's it's the, the mothership radioed instructions. Leave your normal area. This is a test. We will run you up towards the nation's capital and note the, the humans' reactions. That's all this was. <laughs> See how quickly and how seriously they take it. Exactly. And on the third exactly. time, when everybody goes, "Oh, that damn thing again," that's yeah, when we strike. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But, Jeff. but the mode here. Yeah. Well, we know what would have happened had this been a humanly piloted machine. Oh, yeah. In terms yeah. of somebody would have been followed mm-hmm. and, and people would have met somebody well, on it, the ground it, somewhere. No, no, it depends. It depends. If they were from Canada, they would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, All they needed joke, was a Canadian end number. Well, I'm thinking of the specific but, but if, uh, sensitivity was... to the national capital region. Right. Jeb, uh, what? You know, if the Canadians strayed that far from Canada and landed someplace in D.C., <laughs> they deserve what they get. <laughs> they would probably get their butt shot down anyway, eh? Uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff go ahead. At least it wasn't from Smoketown, Pennsylvania. But, oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. If, if, you know, if it's a, a Canadian-registered Cessna, it, they're fine. No problem. You know, have a great flight home. Um, if you're you know, a, a very well-known, very well-respected couple 
uh, flying um, a brand new Cessna that just happens to wear an in a number that was reported stolen a decade ago, then you're in a world of hurt. Oh, yeah. And, you know. So you're a sleeper cell yeah. man, I'm telling you, John. And right. John and Martha, sleeper cell, you know. Um, exactly Living out right. there in that nice hillside home in San Diego. That would explain so much. That would just explain. So much. <laughs> well, there there goes the concept of getting King Schools to sponsor UK. <laughs> Anyways, okay, moving on, moving on. Um, so uh, this is why you always bring two beers. All these yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've. I've I don't know if y'all heard me pop the other one open. I might have to ask for a you know hiatus here in a little while well, because so, this yeah, is going. And by the quick. way, so what's everybody drinking here? So I'm drinking. Uh, this is one of uh, Charlie Becker's beers. Remember when you gave us a? This is one of Charlie Becker's beers. I'm drinking. It's one of the original uh, Lining Kugels. Oh, you got one of the original Lining Kugels. I'm re- remember he also. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We shouldn't have said this in public. <laughs> they gave us publicly <laughs> all the Lining Kugels, right? And which well, we shared with our listeners. Sure. Charlie also had a little private stash um, of of another local beer that he handed us a six pack of. Of Capital oh, Supper yeah. Club. Oh, you're holding, you were holding back on me. Uh, I thought Thanks I offered to remember that six pack. I, I think we, I, I think we gave it up to. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, this is totally my fault because I never made it over to you guys at the hotel yeah. where you were. You were That's drinking right. these yeah, things, yeah, so right. we had a party. I will take Amy, full, re- full responsibility for that. Full responsibility. Capital you know, it's, it, it so spoiled me. You know, like. Uh, uh, so what do you want now? Well, what's cold now? Well, we got a little of everything. Okay. Everything lineys. That was. <laughs> the label here says Capital Supper Club, a Wisconsin state of mind. And then over in the corner of the label, it just simply says not bad. And <laughs> <laughs> it's good beer. And, uh, almost Charlie. brought out one of my beer of the month club, uh, items, but I'm hoarding these because I knew of these two already before the sample pack came. And it's kind of like, I'm not going to drink them just yet. Save it for, cherish it. Abedis from from Louisiana. Ooh, yeah, okay. Hmm. Uh, Uh, So, so no, no drones, no drones, no drones. No drones. Headline from uh, the ABC News website, uh, FAA says hangar homes won't fly at public airports. Well, that's yeah, right. Yeah. They're not supposed to fly. They're I supposed know, to fly yeah, right. permanent they're, they're supposed to be anchored to the ground, built on a, you know, a foundation and, and yada, yada. Yeah. Now, David, I believe you, uh, you kind of vented your spleen a little bit on this subject on, uh, on the UCAP website on this subject. Uh, yeah, you may just be right. I may have said something uh, rather pointed about now, this the, is basically what we've heard the FAA say for some time now, is that they just don't think that, that, that home through-the-fence access from a residential you know, area into a federally funded airport is appropriate for various reasons. And the reasons they give are the kind of the reasons we've heard for a while now. How, what did this, how did this story come up recently? Have they just reinforced these ideas? Or yeah, they're, they're trying I, to change the rules, but it's, it's, it's A, it's, it's very problematic in that you've actually got all these people whose home value depends on the fact that they have through-the-fence access to the airport. And it, it intrigued me that, they, that somebody at 800 Independence thought that the people who already have would sell out the possibility of any future for those who haven't yet. Yeah. And it didn't fly. Not so at basically, all. Basically, the FAA said, oh, you know, we're going to be okay with the ones that exist, but no more, no more. Not compatible 
not compatible. And that was the thing that kind of sent me over to the dark side. Right. For about right. 30, oh, yeah, because short, who could be better trip. to live by the airport than people who actually want to use the airport? Yeah. Who aren't well, going to complain kinda, about the went, noise? I kind of went postal on, on NATA and Jim Coyne uh, being <laughs> up on the same hearing saying, well, you know, we agree because the businesses there make these huge investments. And like, yeah, at some of the airports, you're right. And I don't imagine anybody is angling to build a subdivision in an industrial park so they can have runway access right next door to a solvent processing plant. We're yeah. talking about GA airports that don't have a big business footprint but have a real need to survive, and some of them doing enough business to expand. And what could be more compatible, more helpful, and more cooperative than a community of actual users that mm-hmm. wants to build next door and, and provide access? Second, that eminent domain authority that local governments have, you know, isn't any more or less effective where residences are concerned uh, compared to businesses. Uh, and airport authorities have proven that across the country time and again when they wanted to expand. And, you know, essentially, you know, and it doesn't mean to be critical. It just mean to be observatory. It wiped out whole residential neighborhoods, hundreds of homes, thousands of people. But... They expanded the airport, and they got that overnight sorting facility that they so wanted. Okay, so you've got a residential neighborhood of airport users right next door. You're telling me that that makes them somehow immune to what you could do to several thousand real citizens who live next door to an airport? I'm sorry. None of it flies. It's all bogus. It's all bovine effluent. It's smoke. It's noise. It does not, does not make any sense at all well where does no. this whole thing stand i'm sorry well, Jim, you wanted to add something to this Go yeah a couple of things first of all um for those curious listeners uh, none of this affects me and where i live uh because this is a privately owned facility yeah. and, and, and me either right. me and, either and, and me either it does not we do not accept federal monies uh we, we pay for you know operation and maintenance of the airport runway out of our own pockets a b um and I think we discussed this in a previous episode. Summer vacation kind of, you know, wiped out a lot of brain cells. But um, not, not that there were that many left. But um, as I recall, the, the FAA did modify their policy. This, this process, this Charlie Foxtrot, started, oh, gosh, um, back, I want to say, uh, uh, six months or so ago at least. Uh, it was before the AOPA meeting. Um, well, we were uh, all wearing pins. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. Yeah, yeah. Over over a year ago, this thing started, and uh, I still got the TTF button. Yeah. Um, and since then, and it was just a couple of months ago, maybe maybe it was announced during Oshkosh that uh, the FAA was going to modify its policy um, to grandfather in existing TTF arrangements for for residences. Uh, but would not allow um, um, new ones through their policy mechanisms. Um, that will seem to me maybe be a, a compromise here, uh, but it, obviously it doesn't seem that it's, it's satisfied the, the through the fence advocates, and and I'm sure they have good reasons for this. Um, I, I guess the the final point would be to kind of echo or, 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 or glom on to what what Dave was talking about relative to eminent domain. Um, yeah, the FAA can do that anytime they want to. 
um, in the historically FAA has has not wanted to use eminent domain unless um, uh, it, there was an overriding reason, like a new runway at O'Hare, for example, or uh, some some kind of uh, um, larger project as opposed to just extending a GA runway or creating a noise buffer or something like that. Uh, one thing, it, it tends to annoy people uh, when the government comes in and says, oh, by the way, we're taking your home. Uh, you, can, you, you have 30 days or whatever the time frame is. Um, and, you know, Congress gets in the act and, and it, it gets very messy very quickly. Second thing, of course, is it's not cheap to buy a bunch of homes uh, at, at what are then, what used to be anyway, market rates. Only God knows what they'd be paying for them these days. Um, so those, those are some considerations here also. Um, I don't know if the feel, I don't know if it's a warm, fuzzy feeling or not that I get when uh, we learn that Congress is now in the act um, and, and is going to try to carve up this baby. Um, I, I'm not optimistic uh, that, that a good policy will come out of this. Um, I, I guess the, the, uh, the thing that, that kind of concerns me is, is who is on the other side of this, who's supporting the FAA's position among industry. Um, and um, I don't, I don't know where where they come from. I don't know why they why they. Well, and it, you know, one of the fundamental aggravations for me is it, it, there's this differentiation between oh, if you're a business and went through the fence, well, that's somehow uh, superior and more preferable than your residents who went through the fence. Right. It just yeah, it, that's it, that's bull. That's 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 blowing snow for sure, for sure. Hmm. So it, what's the status of this thing? Is, is this a done deal, or can we well, this express was, ourselves? This was a or? hearing into legislation legislation that's been proposed by Sam Graves of Missouri uh, to uh, basically force the FAA to set up a system by which new ones can be proposed and approved. Good. Okay. Uh, so, so can we call our representatives and, and express ourselves on, on, on this bill? or That wouldn't be a bad idea. Okay. Does it have a name? The bill? I do not. I was not. Uh, I did not track well, it. I, I, mean, let me I know Sam Graves is who see if I can find it. Je- yeah, Jeff. See if you can find that. I. The, the part of this that boggles my mind is, I mean, all the things that you guys talk about, but the one issue that kind of always st- strikes me on this is that that they they allude to a security aspect to this whole thing. And yet, to me, it seems that having people living at the airport that care about the airport makes security better, not worse. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, Jack. There is nothing more secure than people who care watching. Yeah. I mean, basically what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to mandate a situation where there's nobody at the airport at night. That's crazy, you know. I, well, and uh, they're, 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 I think there's a, a view here that, implies that all the airports that might want to do this are big, busy, you know, major business base uh, facilities. Uh, And that just isn't what dominates the GA publicly owned, public access airport landscape. No, they're mostly rural airports. They're in uh, quiet mountain places. Uh, They're out in East Fort Myers. Um, Not at all 
big public places. Yeah. And, um, and, and the FAA has never really had to do a lot of using eminent domain on its own because so very often local officials, local authorities have been willing to do it to get the property in line for the project the FAA would fund. So, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of play in this. Uh, if a community really feels like a, a residential neighborhood next door, be it a through-the-fence access bunch of neighbors or just a bunch of people who happen to live next to an airport, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, it's not cheap. It's not necessarily easy. It won't make you friends or cause you to influence people positively on Election Day. But there's a huge track record in the airport business of this being done and this happening successfully, and life goes on. Yeah. Jay, hey, let me tell the- you. Yeah, I mean, I mean they'd be out. better off to do eminent domain around the Venice airport and take out the subdivisions that are breathing right up to right. the runway threshold. If, if, if you wanted to, to make, you know, strike a blow for aviation freedom and, and use eminent domain or, or you know, uh, um, exercise some authority, that would be a great place to start. You're absolutely right, Amy. Yeah. Hey, you know, speaking of, of striking a blow for GA, uh, uh, you know, the future, excuse me, I'm going to cough here. <clears throat> um, is uh, is there a chance that Meigs could come back? No, we're hearing slim, interesting stuff slim, here. We're, uh, we're what's his name, the, the um, uh, Mayor Daly there, who the bad guy in this whole story uh, is retiring. And, oh, Daly, sorry, have to yeah. do that. And yeah. uh, um, and people are starting to fantasize that maybe something could be done about this. Um, you know, Eat big science fiction, but you got to have a fantasy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it, you know, the, the, there is one undeniable fact here. Yeah. The, the chances of this fantasy coming true are much better without Mayor Daly than they are. Oh, yeah. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, so. Any luck, Jeb? Um, no. No. I haven't okay. found a bill number yet. I'm All still right. working on you it. You keep looking. We're going to move on here. We'll come back to that if you find it. I, I want to know if the new Microsoft Flight Sim still uses Meg's Field as the opening scene. God, I hope so. That would be cool. I do, too. That I do, too. Cool. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Jeb, Dave, and Jack, they're so popular, they stopped returning Bert Rutan's phone calls. Back now with Uncontrolled Airspace. A few episodes back, we uh, talked about a piece of audio that was floating around the net um, of a, uh, of a uh, pipeline pilot uh, who was flying his, uh, I believe, Cessna of some sort, a 172, I believe, um, down low uh, near a Class Bravo or a Class Charlie and had an engine failure. And the the interchange between the pilot and the uh, controller and a police helicopter and and it was an interesting exchange um, and we were complimenting all involved um, on on their their behavior in this emergency. There's another piece of audio now floating around on the net that is kind of more of the same, even more so. Um, a, a really really dramatic piece of audio, if you ask me. Um, it is apparently a a, a pilot uh, alone passenger, a person alone in a Lancer Legacy, uh, flying uh, 
uh, over the mountains uh, in some part of the U.S., uh, and uh, we're listening to him talking to air traffic control as he climbs up through a, a layer of ice, and he's talking to the controllers about the ice that he's seeing forming on his airplane, and that alone has kind of made me nervous. And then he climbs up above the ice and perhaps above the uh, IMC, and no sooner does he get up into those uh, elevations or those altitudes than he has a uh, an engine failure. Um, and, partial. Uh, partial engine partial, failure. Yeah, fortunately for him, partial. But, uh, but enough of an engine failure that he was not able to maintain altitude. And to listen to the exchange and to kind of visualize what was going on here as this pilot, uh, with the help of ATC, tried to find the nearest airport, tried to puzzle out the problem, tried to uh, to you know uh, uh, eke out as much power from this damaged engine as possible. You know, coming down through a layer of ice, uh, trying to reach a distant airport that was the only airport within range, um, thinking that he wasn't going to make it for a while, you know, doing the math. And it was just an amazing interchange. I haven't listened to it in a couple of weeks, but still just thinking back on it, it was just riveting, I thought. But <clears throat> yeah. What did you guys three, think? Three, three things real quickly. First of all, the bill number in question that we were talking about on the Through the Fence thing is HR 4815. Got it. Okay. Four eight one five. Thank you. Four eight one five. Okay. Uh, second thing, um, this guy clearly uh, was on the ball. Uh, he had a well-equipped airplane. He knew how to use the equipment, um, and he remained calm. He he, he flew the airplane, uh, which is you know kind of job one. Anytime you have a problem, and kind of job one. You know. um, That's what I second, always say: is yeah. that you you've got to have ice water yeah. running through your veins at that point. Yeah. Well, it's not so much ice water, but it's it's training. It's it's um, um, I want to say experience, but even inexperienced pilots, uh, um, relatively inexperienced pilots, can can exhibit you know the same levels of training uh, and same levels of of concentration. Uh, um, what's the what's the phrase? The mind tends to focus when when execution is imminent. Yeah, uh, okay. <laughs> something like that. But yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's certainly not a time to be joking around, but it's certainly also a time to know how to use the airplane's equipment and, and use it to its best advantage. And that's what this guy did. I don't know what equipment he had, um, but he had all the databases. He had. He was able to pull up runway configurations. He had. Um, he configured the glass. I'm sure it was a glass panel airplane. He, he configured yeah, it to. Uh, give him um, uh, a, a descent rate. Uh, Sounded like he threshold. had synthetic vision in the airplane. Too. He, he, I think he had synthetic vision in the airplane. He could see through clouds. He was descending. Um, um, there was an overcast that was, I don't know, I'm guessing, I, it's been a couple of weeks since I've listened to this also, three or 4,000 feet above uh, um, the, the highest terrain in the area, but he was descending into a, an airport that was below some of the, the, the mountain peaks in the area. And, but uh, he did the, have altitude on his side. Uh-huh. That well, he was did part have, of it. He, he, he had, seemed he had, to really uh-huh. know it. Yeah, he had he had all this energy. He was climbing out of one nine zero or or two zero zero or something like that when the when the engine let go. And in fact, it wasn't so much the engine; it was kind of a, a an Achilles heel of some of the turbocharged engine installations out there. A clamp on yeah. one of the uh, um, on some of the the uh, turbocharger uh, piping let go and. Uh, he basically had, you know, I, the way I understand it, he basically had half a turbocharged engine and half not turbocharged. Right. Yep. Yeah. 
So another thing I liked about it was all the things you mentioned, as well, um, the the uh, uh, partnership between him and ATC, I was very impressed by. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he knew how to use ATC. ATC was there to help him. Things like at one point, you know, like you said, he did have a lot of data on board and that was a good thing. But at one point, uh, the workload was such that he asked ATC, can you get me? I forget what it was. Can you get me the frequencies or can you get me the something or other? And ATC went and found this information for him and got it for him. And actually, I I was easy to grok the idea of i'll take what help i can yeah right jeb uh i i would also venture to say that he had more information and more readily accessible information than did atc on on a lot of it yes yeah 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 so uh and uh but it was quite a little drama too, because uh, he, you know, like you said, he had a lot of uh, uh, calculations that he could do on his on his glass. And at first, he thought he wasn't going to reach the airport. He was looking at his descent rate, and he was looking at the distance to the airport. And at first, he's thinking, "I'm going to come up a couple miles short." But uh, you know, he apparently I don't exa- remember exactly what it was. I know he he kept talking about how he was kind of messing around with the settings, you know, the power yeah. settings and whatnot, to try and get as much out of it as he could. Keep in mind too, that as he descended, uh, his manifold pressure kept. Rising, yeah, exactly. So he got a lot of power <laughs> back. Yeah. So, uh, uh, it, yeah, the uh, fact that it was partial, not total, was what made the difference between him getting to that airport as opposed to coming up short someplace else. Maybe a different airport, but uh, maybe not in as desirable a location, like still in IMC. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one other thing you need to understand, and this is really important to understand, that was typical of a typical engine failure. Mm-hmm. Typical engine failures are not like mine. They're not complete. They're they're partial. And yeah. I had Ask a student. Was like what Jim absolutely. I had a student have a partial engine failure and actually go around. I mean, to this day, it makes me sick to my stomach because she was carrying seventeen hundred RPM on a one fifty. And she couldn't figure out why the airplane wouldn't come down at some point. Mm-hmm. And she literally had to miss the approach, go around, and then it occurred to her, oh, I still have power. And she pulled the power and she came in. She landed down the runway, which fortunately there really wasn't any wind from the other direction. And that that made a huge impression on me when it was described to me after I went off somewhere and puked for a minute and came back. <laughs> right. Um, right. You know, is that you have to train people on partial power engine failures because that's more likely to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, congratulations to this uh, La- Lance Air Legacy pilot and to the ATC the uh, uh, um, position operator who uh, helped him out, uh, the controller. Uh, uh, good job. Uh, wasn't an off-field landing, but uh, it could have been. Came close. And uh, this is actually, although it's audio, it's mostly audio only. Um, there's actually uh, captions that have been added to it, so it's on YouTube. Uh, we'll put a post. We'll put a link in the uh, show notes, um, or you could search YouTube for a, a video that's titled "Aircraft Engine Failure IMC," um, and uh, you'll find this. It's uh, it's pretty riveting. It's quite a drama. And, it's uh, good audio for yeah. sure. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. It's good stuff. Yeah, it is. Yep. 
So uh, uh, another report from uh, the UCAP car. We're going to have to give him some sort of official title. Uh, Turbo Ed uh, is wandering all over the area, having just way too much fun with airplanes this summer, and uh, or aircraft, because some of it's with his RV and some of it's with his uh, Robinson R44. Um, he attended uh, a fly-in at the uh, Goodspeed Airport in Goodspeed, Connecticut. I think it's called the Goodspeed Airport. It's uh, 42 Bravo is the... Uh, is the identifier, and uh, there's just a lot of rotocraft. This may be the uh, rotocraft line that we referred to in the past, but uh, he's got some pictures from it now, and uh, it just looks like a lot of fun. Um, All these helicopters landed out on the grass and uh, a few fixed-wing aircraft as well. Looks like a really cool airport to visit. I've never been to it. It's down in uh, central or or actually towards southern uh, North-southwise, it's southern Connecticut. East-west, it's kind of central Connecticut. Um, I, I gave you guys a link both to the uh, pictures from the uh, from the fly-in and also uh, the uh, the uh, Google Maps uh, satellite view. Um, this little air, this little strip is like right on the edge of the Connecticut River, and depending on you know, we've we've talked in the past of of uh, don't overrun the air run, don't overrun the runway, you know, because uh, you know like Catalina has a hill on the end and so forth, and uh, well, this one has a river right at the very end of uh, one end of the runway. Yeah, you could add splashdown to your logbook yeah, entries. Yeah, but it's, uh, it looks like a fun airport to visit. I got to put it on my list and go down there one of these days and check it out, but. Uh, um, we'll put up uh, once. You, well, if you're in the forums, you can find it. It's a, in a forum thread called Second Annual New England. Well, it's any rotor flying. Any might mean New England. It might mean Northeast. Um, but uh, there's a bunch of pictures that TurboEd has put up there, and they're they're very cool. Looks like a lot of fun down there that day. Let's helicopters. See. <laughs> yeah, I know helicopters. When I was talking with someone recently about helicopters, <laughs> I forget. But, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd fly helicopters. I'd fly helicopters in a heartbeat if I had the money. It's just that they're more expensive. Is the, I'm just yanking chains. I know. I know. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, I am. No, you're not. Uh, so, Amy, what did AvWeb do here that's got you troubled, I think? Are you troubled by this? Uh, this? Yeah, I'm not troubled. It just makes me chuckle because it's the second time they've done it. First, they had Mary Grady. AppWeb reporter extraordinaire um, put something down about why women don't fly airplanes, and it just garnered so much traffic. I mean, I'm sorry, but you know, I pull up the RSS feeds on this stuff, and when you get you know over a hundred comments, that's a big deal. Yeah, on an AppWeb posting. Well, they had Mireille Goyer, who's a Canadian. Um, who put together this Centennial of Women flight this year. And she's actually gotten some very good um, PR out of the deal. And her thing was Raymond de la Roche uh, got her certificate in France in 2010. And we should honor that by um, every woman should take a girl or a woman up in an airplane and try to introduce her to flight. Okay, great idea. Well, at some point, she hooked up with most likely Russ Niles, their their Canadian connection, so I like to call him. Good guy. And um, he said, well, you ought to write an essay about why more women don't fly airplanes. Every time, I mean, I'm sorry, every time they do it, they bring out the dinosaurs who say, well, it's because women don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Which is true to a certain degree. For some women, uh, is not entirely true because immediately you get back the, 
That's BS. Women want to do it. They're not welcome. <laughs> and then it goes on from there. And uh-huh. it goes on and on and on until Paul has to come along and delete some of them because they get nasty. Which just amazes me. How could you get nasty at each other about this stuff? But there's that much disagreement in 2010. There's that much disagreement. Mireille's argument is we're not marketing it properly. We've got 50% of the world out there that we could be marketing to. And you guys are whining and crying about, you know, general aviation and the pilot population decreasing. And yet only 6% of pilots are women. You never marketed it properly to them. You should do it now and get them to come in the door and rescue everything, which I don't buy that. Okay. I don't, I don't think that solves the problem either. Uh, do I think that it's not been marketed to women? Yeah, I agree with her there. But I don't think it's the, the panacea. Mm-hmm. But, but what is interesting to me is that it's still such a hot button in 2010 that it could generate um, in 24 hours hundreds of comments. Mm-hmm. Were the um, comments no. pre- predominantly from men, or was it a mix of oh, men? Oh, yeah. Men, well, yeah. It, uh, there's, there's plenty of women chiming in, but um, at, at least two to one, there's men to women chiming in. But what's interesting is how the dialogue goes. I mean, they get nasty, 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 nice, conciliatory, yeah, I agree with you, but... You know, back and forth and back and forth as they basically, (laughs) a lot of them end up calling each other bigots, which is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. Because you don't even think in modern America that that kind of bigotry still exists. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. Uh, uh, On cue, no less. uh, (laughs) Oh, my, my, my. Moving right along. Yeah, okay. But but you see what I say? I'm saying? It just astounds me that somebody can write three paragraphs and so inflame an audience on that topic still today. So anyhow, I invite you to go to the AV website and pull up Mireille Goyer's um, essay about Somewhere. why more women aren't flying and uh, put your two cents in. At this point, I think we almost got a million dollars in there. Okay. I, I've been reading that as the discussion's been going along, and and what I've come to trust in as a dominant trait of my fellow man is that I can always trust them to have a Forrest Gump moment over things like this. <laughs> there are some Forrest Gump moments in there. There are also some. What was it? Um, Mouth breathing. Uh-huh. Wait, what was what was the really extra, bad ex, magnum, uh, extra chromosome times? <laughs> I mean, it was pretty good. Though I I I adore Paul Bergarelli because I love to watch what he decides is offensive enough to delete. <laughs> so you're following it before they're getting deleted. You're seeing the ones. Well, that yeah, why not? Right, yeah, okay. and then you see him disappear, and you go, "Oh, okay." So Paul was offended by that. <laughs> yeah. Didn't but bother it, me, but whatever. 
a number of years ago, Annie and I were getting ready to, to, to board Air Comanche and launch off on one of our, our, our little smaller adventure trips. And we met another couple at Augusta. Uh, and it was a, a young guy, about 10 years my junior. And he was flying an airplane that was, was familiar to me. Come to find out, it, he'd inherited it from his grandmother. Uh, and I kind of shook my head and went, wow, you're back flying. The young man had had a heart attack uh, the year earlier and was back, had his medical back and was flying and all that. And uh, my bride asked his bride about, so do you take a pinch hitter course or, or, you know, do you go up with a flight instructor so you know how to land it? I mean, wow, you got two daughters and he's had a heart attack and, I imagine that's really important to you all to, to, to do that. And the young lady looked at my wife and kind of went, I'm not allowed to touch anything. <laughs> oh. No, it wasn't funny. Yeah. Oh, that's too it bad. It wasn't funny. It wasn't that a laugh. The, 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 the young man had inherited a, the airplane from his grandmother. Oh. And yet his wife wasn't allowed to touch anything in the airplane. Yeah, and I could never... We we crossed paths a, a few times after that, and then they changed. They they relocated the airplane. Never saw him again. But uh, you know, I, it was like, what's the underlying reason why she's not allowed to t- touch the airplane? In visiting with the guy, I always kind of wrote it off to that's his upbringing. Hmm. Uh, but not now. I, I mean, it doesn't make never, sense. I, I never confirmed the possibility that it might have been because she doesn't do things like that well. And that's <sighs> not a gender-specific thing. That's uh, yeah. I, I, I'll give you that. I'll absolutely give you that. You know, but at the same time, you you know, I look at even my parents, and when my father was was worried that he wasn't going to get a medical back, he had my mother renew hers. Oh no! Listen, I'm she in your had camp. learned we were she had learned to fly because she was afraid of flying with him, and then she went on all the way through her commercial instrument rating, and yeah. then stopped flying. And now, you know, he was like, "Well, she should get back into it so that I can still fly." Now, Annie shot down me because she's not good at that things. With well, okay, make a tick list. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, a checklist. Yep, I got gotcha. you. If I pass out because of medical reasons, first turn the radio to this frequency, push the button, and say, help! Yeah. <laughs> and then follow the following instructions and always listen to what the guy on the radio says. There's yeah. actually, we actually have an emergency uh, non-pilot, you know, thing, it, the card that sits in our airplane. But then we have a, you know two ATPs for the pilot and the co-pilot um, who don't actually fight for the, for the left seat, strangely well, enough. The, there's no, the but, question, but though, there's if, enough to do. If you eat out the night before, who has the chicken and who has the fish? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's usually beef. <laughs> just so you know. Okay. Just so you know. Now, but I, I just, you know... You guys know who I work for. You know what I do. I definitely advocate uh, for increasing diversity within wi- within aviation. There's no question about it. Um, it's definitely my life's work. But at the same time, I I won't indulge people in silly stunts like 
going on to AvWeb or somewhere and saying, well, you know, we should advertise to women and we should do more, you know, pretty and pink stuff. Hey, you know, it's not that we're, it's not that we're bad at recruiting women. We're bad at recruiting people in general. Thank you. That's true. Thank Thank you. you. That's exactly right. That's the exact truth. And, um, you know, I'm looking at some wide open territory in places like China and Africa, and I'm finding that I have tremendous success in generalized recruiting, just going in there and saying, here are opportunities. What do you guys think? Do you think it's cool? Do you not think it's cool? You know, what would you want to do? And also not just pushing the flying thing all the time. What what about mechanics? What about flight attendants? What about, you know, we need people everywhere. We need air traffic controllers. Um, we need people who just like aviation and are willing for, to vote for aviation positive stuff when it comes up on a bill, you know? Oh, yeah. I well, mean, one of, the, one of the audio links that I dropped in as one of the, you know, 8,000 too many two things, things that we got on tonight's list was a controller, ground controller at JFK. That was a for about 11 minutes of audio, listening That's to him awesome try to unknot a bunch of mistakes. Right. Well, thank God we have people willing to do that stuff. That was yeah. insane. That poor yeah, guy was, was just, you. I mean, and he was doing his job. He was trying his best, and I'm, he seemed like he was very good at it. But, man, the circumstances were just ganging up on him. <laughs> Everything was going wrong. Everybody was doing the wrong thing. People, he had some pilots. Honestly, the only other career alternative that came to mind listening to him was uh, uh, paint drying inspector or actors. Yeah, <laughs> that was a crazy piece of audio. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But uh, that, that was yeah, I uh, that was crazy. That was crazy. Hey, we got to move on here. Um, since the last time we got together, um, the NTSB came out with their probable cause uh, for the Hudson River midair. The uh, the uh, helicopter, helicopter uh, Seneca, uh, not Seneca, uh, oh, I want to say Mooney, but sure. yeah, whatever it was, Sir, fixed wing Sir, helicopter Sir, midair, oh. yeah. And um, uh, it seems like nobody agrees on what the probable cause was. Um, we've got three or four different organizations that are coming back and saying, no, 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 no. Can somebody explain to me what's going on here and and what the probable cause was? It's called they don't know, and they're all pointing fingers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's part of it. The other part of it is this is some of the busiest airspace in the world, and, and stuff like this isn't supposed to happen. A third part of it is... Um, well, actually, I should correct you. Bound to happen is actually a better way to say it. It's inevitable, A. But B, there's... I'm trying to figure out the correct way to put all this. Um, The controller, one of the controllers, let's put it that way, was less than conscientious. Yeah. Less than totally conscientious in his monitoring of the departing Saratoga from Teterboro. That's very generous, if you ask me. Um, It was a a domino fall of little mistakes by multiple people. Mm -hmm. Okay. The controller controller is on a cell phone call. He's not paying attention to what he's doing. So he missed the airplane's incorrect read back in the midst of his phone call. So the the, the Saratoga pilot changes to the incorrect frequency. Uh, 
and is not finding anybody there. In the meantime, people are trying to get a hold of him because there's traffic closing on him and they can't get a hold of him. And the people talking to the helicopter pilot don't exactly make clear who is where. Mm-hmm. And then you got visual clutter of the airplane that was in a position to see the other one. They were both at a spot where the horizon line and stuff on the ground and the airplane's altitude merged. Well, uh, keep uh, keep in mind also, as as the accident report bears out or, or emphasizes, um, an aircraft on a collision course does not appear to have relative motion. That's exactly right. right. It ain't exactly. moving. It ain't moving in your windscreen. All it does is get bigger and closer at That's the same right. time. That's right. That's all it does. It's so like there landing. is no there is no relative motion that your eye will notice. That's right. Uh, you got to be you got to be picking up on any collision lights or mm-hmm. uh, you know if it, and they should be on. But it, this whole thing of saying well see and avoid obviously didn't you know see and avoid was the big problem here. Well, freaking duh. In a mid-air collision, seeing a void is always a failure. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been a collision for you to investigate. Well, Jesus. By the, yeah. By the same token, within the last couple of days, certainly late, earlier this week, the NTSB put out a press release that they were investigating a near mid-air collision. I forget the locale. Um, I want to say Denver or, or um, maybe San Francisco or something like that. In, in an airport with parallel runways. And... Uh, a uh, a Beach 99 single pilot operation, cargo operation, oh, departed, yeah, departed um, I'm going to say the left runway, uh, a, um, I wanna, um, probably a 737, I don't remember the carrier, departed the right runway, uh, basically at the same time. Um, the 99 lifts off is, is straight out. A tower controller clears the 73. Who t- which took off on the right runway, I believe I've got this correct, t- took off on the right runway to make a left turn. Oh, my. And the crew of the 7-3 later reported that they heard the 99 go by. That part I didn't understand. Yeah, so they no, heard, they, they audibly heard, this, heard the engines. Audib- audibly heard this Beach 99 go past them. Okay. Wow. Never a good sign. Never a, good. Yeah, never a good that thing. That should have been a trick. That should have been thing. a TCAS alert. How yeah. many yeah. of you guys have actually gotten so close to another airplane that you felt like, wow, that was a near miss? Not me, knock on wood. You mean uh, inadvertently? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, inadvertently. <laughs> yes, I do, Dave. <laughs> okay, well, I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Uh, yeah once for me. Twice. And that was uh, maybe talk. Yeah. Uh, Twice. That was, and, and both that was on the lake. Yeah, okay. that was I've on the lake. Happened, I've actually happened, had it happen to me four different times. Two times were on handoffs with ATC. Oh, goody. Okay. All right. Twice. Both of those times I was inbound on the ILS. They had somebody climbing out on the localizer. And on the handoff from from air traffic control to the tower. They did not tell me my traffic. And I was left with, whoa, woof, push. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Right? Once was an Oshkosh coming sucks. in. Once was an Oshkosh coming in. 
where where um, a biplane basically left his tire marks on the top of my uh, 182. <laughs> he never saw me. Never saw me. Couldn't Eesh. figure out the order landing on runway 27. And I uh, had the smoke on just to make it more fun. Oh, good. Well, you yeah. know, it's it's it's. I mean, it's but, undeniable. There are certain there are certain positions uh, that for certain airplanes will put another airplane uh, absolutely in, in a spot where you're never going to see anything. Absolutely, and 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 the fourth anything. time was coming around the corner at Lake Parker, coming into Sun and Fun where everybody comes together at that place, and I'm in the kit yeah. box in the right seat, and yeah. I am looking at the underbelly of a 182 who saw us at the last second and made a hard, hard 90-degree turn. Mm-hmm. There's only one place scarier than over the north power plant at Parker. Yeah. yeah. And that's over downtown Metropolitan Ripon. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, I have to say. Because Ripon, they come from every direction. Oh the yeah, our plant. They generally come in from the east. Yeah, but I have to admit that w- with with no no the time that I've had. Yeah, no criticism to my yeah. friend Jeb, but one of the scariest times I've ever had in an airplane was when we were circling Lake Parker going into uh, Sun yeah. and Fun that day. Lake Parker well, can it, be scary. I'm looking everywhere, trying to oh my gosh, there's airplanes everywhere, but yeah, there weren't. Man. I mean, you just fantasize about it. You know? yeah. you get close Jeb's to trying it. to say something here. Let Jeb go ahead. I was going to say that the one time that I've I've come really close was inbound to Lakeland from. Uh, Lake Parker, on the arrival, uh, follow, just about to make the turn south. I was headed due west, just about to make the turn to the south, and a home-built amphibian uh, is going the other direction about 100 feet above me and, you know, 25 feet off the wing. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, no. I'm like, dude, uh, hello, where are you going? Um, but, he's going. There's a fly-in going on. What are you talking yeah. About? Oh, hey, I wanted to land at Lakeland today. I want to get some lunch. Oh, yeah. Uh, I had a they're, close they're going there. into Sun and Fun, but the airplane had departed Winter Haven mm-hmm. and was in a climb and wasn't coming to Lakeland. Yeah, yeah. And the only thing I could figure out is that our our relative track and 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 speeds. I was in his blind spot because he went over the top of me at about 150 feet. Yeah. They and can't I'm sure he see. never saw me. They can't see. I guarantee you this biplane never saw me. Never yeah. saw me. And um, you know, and, and it, there was confusion as to the tower deciding which one of us was going to land first. And I've had it before. I've had it. I had it in in Santa Fe, New Mexico, with a trying to duke it out between me and a two ten and a flight of five, you know, Apaches that you couldn't see against the desert. There were five airworthy Apaches. <laughs> oh, helicopter <laughs> Apaches. Helicopter. Oh, oh, those kinds. We were all doing great when we were all going one hundred and fifty knots. When they slowed down, was when the problem started. You know. Because I wasn't doing 50, and, you know, and I lost them, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not descending till I can find them again. And sure enough, all of a sudden, there was a, whoa, what the, was that? And I went over them at uh, about 150 feet above them. Yeah. And I was entirely content to be 150 feet above them. And I literally, after five hours of flying, which you know is a long time in a single-engine airplane, 
I went around the pattern one more time until I could yeah. count five on the ground. And then I <laughs> Don't yeah. blame you. Hey, well, go ahead. Go no, no, you finish up the thought, Amy, and then we're going to move on. I was going to say, it's bad enough when you're having trouble picking airplanes out of the sky. When they're purposefully camouflaged... In their <laughs> yeah, I yeah. admit I've never understood that part. The people you see all these airplanes at Oshkosh that have camouflage paint jobs. I'm going, but they're what? supposed to have their lights on. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. All right, <laughs> moving on here. Let's. Uh, so, Amy, shooting range. They're gonna have. They're gonna be firing off guns on short final. I don't know. I'm making that up. What's okay, the story no, here? you're not. Uh, Denver International Airport. Apparently. There is a group that is petitioning to put in a public shooting range that is literally adjacent to the airport, and airplanes would be flying over the shooting range at uh, around 500 feet above the ground. And they should, don't see a problem with that. I think this is genius. All right, this <laughs> is like you know, this is yeah, the, it shouldn't be a conflict. Right. And they're and they're saying, but we're not going to let anybody use armor piercing rounds, and we're not no. going to let anybody use machine guns. We'll stick to semi-automatic weapons. <laughs> What's the well? Problem? The armor piercing part's irrelevant. Yeah, I know. Because right. aluminum's not that resistant to copper jacketed lead. It just ain't. Yeah. yeah. Well. Are yeah, they going to let the airplanes arm as well? That's that, yeah, that that's would be interesting, right? That's a good question. I think we should come back come back with that. No, actually, they were saying, well, you know, <laughs> Department of Homeland Security is going to have to get involved, and you know, on days when we're at orange alert, blah blah blah. And I'm thinking, oh, you people are just not that intelligent. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, is this a done deal, or is there is this? No, uh... I think there's discussion going on. I think the common sense attitude just really hasn't settled in yet. But it's a public, you know, um, positive thing, and we're going to have, you know, hunting safety classes. And it's I'm going to say that kind of stuff's night. really popular right now. And, you know, when you go to a shooting range, you pay to use it. You pay to be able to prove that you could hit something. Shooting into the air is what numbnuts do. Yeah. Well, you know. You know, guys in movies celebrating New Year's or some stupid crap. It is. Uh, people that are serious about their shooting are, you know, are not into wasting their ammunition blindly shooting into the air. And besides, when laser pointers are outlawed, only outlaw professors will have laser pointers. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was going to say, I was gonna say the, the shooting range thing is fine. I don't have a problem with there being shooting ranges. That's okay. But... But they should put them where they belong, when you like next to elementary schools. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, your words failed, have dude. never been spoken. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. We should check I, with our buddies from the, the, uh, senior the Citizen Center. I could say they won't yeah. hear it. Yeah, we should check with our buddies from the Mile High Flyers podcast. They're based out there in Denver, I believe. And uh, yeah, find out what they think about it. Insights into this whole thing. All right, so. All right, before we move on to shout-outs here, I've skipped a bunch of things on the list. Is there anything you don't want to let slide? Uh, is a bunch of things. Folks, we could have been here for three hours tonight. This taken oh, yeah. three weeks off thing maybe wasn't the cleverest idea we ever came up with. But uh, but I think no, I get the I'm high points. Go. Yeah, okay. Do your thing. Yeah, Jeb, they're going to put in a tower at Frederick. What's the deal? There's no airplanes there. <laughs> oh, I don't understand it. I don't understand the deal there either. Um, it's something that's been argued back and forth for ages. Um, the the prevailing school of thought is that with with intersecting runways, with um, 
let's say, a, a mix of aircraft performance types and pilot performance types um, that um, uh, it's, it's uh, Frederick's been an accident waiting to happen for some time. But the punchline, I think, is that um, um, the, the numbers have finally worked. There's a, the FAA has long maintained a, uh, a formula based on movements and types of aircraft and types of movements and, and instrument operations and visual operations and all this kind of thing. Uh, and once an airport, you know, cracks, you know, some magic number, when that formula is applied, they get a control tower. And uh, that's apparently what's happened. Um, this is uh, also being funded, as I understand it, through the uh, the ongoing stimulus money that's been available for a year or so. And uh, um, there are some who say it's long overdue. Uh, there are some who say it's going to ruin Frederick. Um, there certainly are some some um, things to be ironed out up there. For example, there's a an active soaring school, uh, so you got a lot of Nordo aircraft. They're either going to have to come up with special procedures or um, they get you know some battery powered radios installed. Um, you've got uh, the Camp David and, and uh, the, the prohibited area number forty nearby uh, that uh, expands and contracts at the whim of uh, the president. Um, there's, there's all kinds of things going on there. There's also a radar dark spot, um, um, between a radar facility near BWI and another radar facility near Dulles. Uh, it's, it's a mess and, uh, it has been a mess at Frederick. I don't think a, a control tower per se is going to resolve that, but it will certainly make it more interesting. Let's see now. Another shout out here. Shout out to uh, listener uh, and 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 uh, meetup buddy Comanche Sue, uh, who uh, yes. has a, a fascinating story uh, on the. Uh, and I'm sure you know. It's like remember what we say at the beginning of this podcast. All right, you know things that sound like advice on aircraft operation are just you know kind of us you know shooting the crap here. All right, because uh, Comanche Sue got herself in, and she tells this story in a posting in the forums, a really fascinating posting. Um, she got herself into a, po- a possible gear up uh, situation. She couldn't get her landing gear down, and she appara- and she had recently listened to the episode where we talked about the guy who flew all the way to Nashua in order to land to be near his mechanic. Um, and uh, she actually considered this possibility, and she but uh, and she came to her senses and uh, made some really good choices, I think. But made uh, some she, very good choices, and yeah. and I w- I would also add, you know, what what she eventually did to get the gear down, get it unjammed, as it were, uh, was what I would call a high G maneuver. She she initiated a, a dive, and and uh, uh, in doing so. There was enough G-force exerted on the gear mechanism that the gear finally uh, freed itself, and, and uh, I don't know if it fell into place immediately after that, but it, 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 she was able to get the gear down and locked after that maneuver. You know, great idea, excellent execution. Obviously, it worked. I will say this: it's the first time uh, I am aware of on record. It's in all the textbooks. It's in all the it's in all the hangar flying you 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 hear about and read about. But I've never heard of that particular maneuver actually working before. Mm, yeah. Well, I'm happy it did. Yeah, I, I, I'm ecstatic. Yeah, really. Great story. Yeah, so that's in the forums. Again, we'll put a link in the show notes or you can dig around in the forums for it. And uh, it's, a, it's a great bit. David, you seem to be following this more than any of us. Um, is uh, Fifi airworthy or not? What's the latest? The word out of the commemorative air force uh, early this week was that Fifi, the world's only airworthy B-29 World War II vet bomber, uh, had finished its uh, 
its required uh, flight test regime after what all the years of restoration, new hybrid engines being built, uh, reconstruction of cowlings and exhausts and all sorts of things to adapt the uh, hybrid engines to fit in the same space as the old engines. And she's, uh, she's supposed to be up and able and airworthy and going to be flying uh, going to be flying when the commemorative air force has its annual air show fly in uh, the weekend of uh, what the 8th and 9th I believe it is mm-hmm. yeah I'd, I'd give one of Jack's major body parts to ride in that <laughs> well I'm glad so uh, I'm not even going there hands uh, <laughs> off to the CAF folks really yeah. best not to I'm, this is this has been a long, complicated, expensive, complicated, involved, and expensive process. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations to them, and uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. But it sounds like they've uh, kind of gone past the tipping point, and they're doing well now. Quick shout out to a listener who goes by the Twitter name uh, Kareen and Go, which is by, by the way a funny username, uh, uh, Twitter name because I was trying to parse this thing, figuring out what it means, and I thought it was like Karee Care and Ango, and but I just realized that it's sort of a take on on Touch and Go. It's Kareen and Go. Um, anyways, Kareen and Go uh, checked in with me on Twitter uh, back on September 15th. He writes, Hi, Jack. I just wanted to brag and say that I passed my CFI initial check ride today at Payne Field in Everett, Washington. So That's nice. a big deal. Yeah, we That's a big airport, yeah. A, a big attaboy or attaguy to uh, Kareen and Go. Uh, to he says it's home of the 787. It's also home to 747. And seven seven seven. So that's a big place. Yeah, yeah. So congratulations to uh, Kareen and Go, and uh, that's terrific. Um, David, you just wanted to remind us that remind us that our favorite new bit of aviation terminology kicks in pretty soon. Luau. Yeah, t- uh, tomorrow is September thirty. By the time you all hear this, we will be a few days into the new nomenclature. You will no longer position and hold. You will line up and wait. And we got a link to the FAA's fast team uh, safety course that brings you all up to speed on how to use line up and wait because that's what you're going to hear from the controllers from now on when they want you to do what used to be called something else. Uh, That's all everything on the list. Anybody else? Any other shout-outs? Amy? Jeb? Be safe out there. Yeah, not for me. Try not to run into yes, anybody absolutely. you know. I got a quickie. I okay, got a go real ahead. quickie. Yeah, David, go ahead. Near Lee Bottom Airport, uh-huh. which is outside Hanover, Indiana. That was, they had their big fly-in oh, on Saturday. I, I was going to go down, but then we went to Nashua instead. Go ahead. Madison, Indiana, there is a huge power transmission line span across the Ohio River there. Okay, yeah. It is tall, tall, tall. You could be going uh, into facilities nearby there and meet one of these puppies. The the towers sit on a ridge, and the ridge that they, they stand 430 feet above the ridge that they stand on. So these puppies are way above the river. Well, uh, a little earlier this month, the uh, the the operators, uh, Louisville Gas and Electric Company, installed an, uh, an, a new collision avoidance system 
called OCAS, uh, Obstacle Collision Avoidance System, and it's from Europe. It's very high-tech. It's basically a transmitter and a strobe light system that are triggered by a low-power radar and a computer that detects an aircraft, tracks it, and if it determines that it's on a collision course with a tower or the wires suspended across the Ohio River, it will set off these hugely bright daytime blinding strobe lights. And if you miss that, then it broadcasts a general warning on the comm frequencies for aircraft uh. telling you that there's a uh, an obstacle ahead. Well, on which comm frequencies? That's what I want to figure out here. I, I, I think it uses them all. Oh. Is that Either that or it's so bloody powerful in its burst it just bleeds through your speaker system. Really? I think, <laughs> I think it uses all of them. Has the FCC heard about this? Okay. Well. This is all approved, legal, FAA sanctioned, blessed. What's, what's, uh, the, what's the service again? What's the name of it? OCAS, Jeb. It's a link in the list we didn't get to. Okay. Uh, okay. It's a stickle uh, collision avoidance system, and it's site-specific. Uh, it's being used on uh, uh, wind farm towers to warn pilots. This is particularly useful in lower visibilities and for those who are prone to scud running across prairies. Uh, tall towers, uh, power lines, uh, any obstacle that's up in the airspace. I understand some radio and television broadcasters are starting to look at it because they have these 1,500 and 1,800-foot-tall broadcast towers. Uh, just something really... If it works, it's welcome. I, it's terrific. Yeah. I just it seems, it seems a little sci-fi to me, but then that's okay. Well, you so, know, 110 years ago, flying anything you know, takes us sci-fi, so... This takes us full circle of where we came in. If if we had one of these over the over the Capitol, maybe this this uh, UAV wouldn't have gotten so close. Yeah, there you go. That's right. You know, yeah. or, we, or, or we could have one at Rochester, New York, and uh, there you go. <laughs> but it wouldn't have to speak French. <clears throat> okay. I'm hey, done. Time to stick a fork in this one. Thank you, folks. It's uh, uh, fine. I'm so glad we got back together. We're gonna let's do this again next week. What do you say? Oh, I think that's a great idea. Why not? Works for me. Plenty Let me check things. my calendar. Have, have my girl get in touch with your girl. Thank Let, you. Let me check go. my beer supply. Oh, man. Oh, Amy? <laughs> oh, yes. That was <laughs> Burnside. B U R. Yeah, I know where he lives. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, thank you, Amy. Amy No, Lafoda. you don't actually anymore. <laughs> I'd find it. Amy <laughs> Lafoda. Your navels will turn you in in a, in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, I can probably York, narrow yeah. it down to an airport designator. Amy Lobota is a freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, where can people find you and your magazine on the Internet? You can find me at wai.org or afwdigital.org. And Dave Higdon uh, is an aviation photographer and an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Oh, they can kick over rock, uh, avfire.com, aea.net, davehigdon.biz, or, you know, take the potluck route, and uh, don't forget to bring a covered dish. Just Google. 
And Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet? JeBurnside.com is uh, my personal website. Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com is another website, uh, kind of a day job kind of thing. AEA.net is somewhere I pop up, just as well as AvWeb and, and your local police blotter. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our excellent show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan and Roy Searle and to the many other listeners who have created the uh, UCAP disclaimer clips and the other interesting uh, audio clips that you hear uh, scattered throughout our podcast. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, do you remember what you were going to say? I've got just an inkling. I had to check it. Uh, Even Einstein concurred. Live longer, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMFFN. Hey,